Hey, listen, we want to get a Bible inside of your hands. So if you didn't bring a Bible with you, just raise your hands. We want to get you a Bible. Probably you left it inside of your car. Probably you don't own one. If you don't own one, we want to gift you with a, a Bible. But go ahead and open to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 19. We got a hold of finger there. We'll get to there eventually. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 19. So, last Sunday we started an Olivic series called The Beloved Community Is, dot, dot, dot. And if you, um, if you haven't missed it and stuff, we're no longer a part of the um, Redemption Arizona or multi-site church and stuff. The Lord has, has led us to um, start a, a new family of churches called the Beloved Community. And what we've been doing is we're taking 11 weeks to, to walk through some of the characteristics of the Beloved Community because it connects to an older theme, right? It connects to an older theme. A lot of that information is, has been um, set out already, so I won't, I won't go through it, but it connects to an older theme. So we're spending 11 weeks looking at some of the key things that characterize the Beloved Community. Now, last week, Pastor Aaron opened, us, opened up for us, and he started off by saying the beloved community is a family. It's a family. We talk about that much over here. Beloved community is a, is, a, is a family, but he talked about the tensions of living in a reconciled family, what it takes to do it. Not just, hey, that's a good idea, but there's some tensions of living into something like this, and that's what he, he went into. Well, this morning, the theme is hospitality. The beloved community is a hospitable community, a community that offers radical hospitality to everyone, an inclusive family rather than an exclusive club. As we go through these, these themes, these are things that in, in some ways we're living into, and there are things in some ways that we're not living into, and that we want God to mature us into, to build us up into. So we want to get these things in front of your faces, and so you understand the direction that we're moving towards, and, and, and how we feel God is shaping us. The beloved community is a hospitable community, a community that offers radical hospitality to everyone, an inclusive family, rather than an exclusive club. The way I want to run out that this morning is narratively. You see, when God created us, he created us in, in community. These are things we've talked about a lot. God created us, he created us in community. He says it's not good for man to be alone, and he creates women, he forms them in relationship to him and in relationship to one another. And there is this hospitable community between man and God, humanity and God. Now, when I, when I talk about hospitable, to be hospitable is to create an atmosphere of welcome. You following me? An atmosphere of welcome. So, so those two words are going to be interchangeable. Hospitable, welcome. Welcome, hospitable, creating a culture and an atmosphere of welcome. Well, there was a community that welcomed the presence of one another, how God created things. 
Man welcomed the presence of woman, and woman welcomed the presence of man. And they both welcomed the presence of God, and God welcomed them into his presence. But after the fall, things changed. I want to read Genesis 3, 8 through 12. Immediately after the fall, first you have this atmosphere where everyone's presence is welcomed. And then immediately after the fall, in Genesis 3, verses 8 through 12, it reads, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, That woman that you put here with me, she gave some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. See, in the fall, man stops trusting God. The problem is God is the source of welcome. He is the heartbeat of welcome. He is the reason of welcome. So when they start trust, stop trusting God, it creates tension and, and hostility with God that spills over the tension and hostility towards anyone that even looks like God, and that's all of us. Deep inside, there's a reminder of something, even when we, if we don't know, when this hostility spills over. For anyone who looks and out like God, those created inside of the images, his image and likeness, there was, where there was once an atmosphere that, that welcomed the presence of God. Now both man and woman reject him by, by hiding from his presence. I mean, even just think about it. This is the spot that you're used to hanging out with your homies all the time, but now when you go to hang out, they're hiding from you. Now when you go to hang out, they're like, oh, man, there she go. That welcome has changed. Something has changed. Where there was once an atmosphere that welcomed the presence of the other, now an unwelcoming atmosphere between man and woman is, is filled with accusation and blame shifting. Welcome is God. They begin on this spiral, the spiral of this estranged relationship with God as characterized by them getting kicked out of the garden and becoming strangers to God himself. Strangers in thought, in deed, in spirit and heart, foreign to him. His ways became foreign to their ways. Strangers. Welcome itself becomes a strain. Hospitality becomes a, a strain. Now, if you follow their story, you follow the story of God's children. Things go on, and, 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 and one day, and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing for the sake of time, but things go on one day, there is this, there is this massive life-threatening famine in the land. And the people of Israel, they come to Egypt as strangers looking for help. We don't want to die. Now, despite the fact that there was foreigners, it was welcome in the Egypt, and they were shown hospitality by someone who loved God. Now, that someone was named Joseph. 
He actually was a family member, but their relationship was estranged. They deeply wronged Joseph, resulting in them not speaking for years, not seeing each other for years, so long that they don't even remember how each other look. They didn't even know if he, if he was alive, much less how, how he looked. So they're standing in front of him and they're seeking help as strangers. And despite the tension, despite the fact that they, they haven't repented yet, there wasn't an opportunity. Despite the fact that he was struggling personally, Joseph chooses to show them welcome. He brings them in and he treats them like guests and it leads to repentance and forgiveness eventually. My first point I want to throw up is hospitality transforms the identity of a stranger into that of a guest with the hope of making them a friend. Hospitality transforms the identity of a stranger into that of a guest with the hope of making them a friend. It uses basic needs like food, clothing, Shelter combined with good old conversation and, and laughter to make a, a safe, welcoming space where the stranger can feel invited in. Back to the story, they were showing hospitality by the Egyptians, right? But when that one family member died, the people that rose into authority and power afterwards stopped showing hospitality. They stopped showing welcome. So the people of Israel no longer felt welcome. They, they, they no longer felt like guests. They was enslaved, they was beat, they was killed. And according to Exodus 1 and 8, it was because the new king that arose did not know Joseph. So the history of Joseph and his, and his people was strange. It was unfamiliar to him. He would have, they've been there for over 400 years. He, he, he would have been like, man, we've grown up all our lives with these people over here, and I have no idea about their story. I just know it's madable. It's a whole bunch. Since the identity and story of the Israelites was foreign to the new king, he treated them like strangers to be feared and suspicious of instead of welcomed as guests. It was a change. Now, even if we start talking about this, we can't dance around the fact that we seen the same spirit in the way we treat certain strangers even today. Where many times we've allowed fear to, to fill the space of the unknown and tell us to treat people that are foreign to us, unfamiliar to us, strange to us, with suspicion. And don't get me wrong, I get using discernment. Don't get me wrong, I get using wisdom. We need to. We live in a fallen world. Discernment and wisdom has to be primary. But some of us have started to treat fear like discernment. Some of us have started to treat fear like wisdom. That's how common it is. Fear seems to be discernment. Fear seems to be wisdom. It's not. These are two different things here. There's a difference. 
Discernment is the spirit of God. Wisdom is the spirit of God. But the Bible says God has not given the spirit of what? So there's a difference there. But sometimes the line is so thin, we don't know where one ends and the other one starts. Back to the story. Knowing that his people were being treated this way, God sends Moses and Moses leads them out of Egypt. God leads them out of Egypt. He sends Moses, leads them out of Egypt. And he promises to bring them to this, this place where they would experience true welcome. Not only will they experience it, they will offer it themselves. There is this new promise then. I'm going to take you there. And they start the journey. It's a long journey. But on the way there, he, he strategically slows down and he, he gives them the law and the Ten Commandments. Now, many people miss the important elements of what's actually happening right here. Like God's timing. Why did he give the law after they leave Egypt, but before they get to the promised land? What's going on here? You see, culture shapes us over time through repetitive experiences. The things that happen to you over and over again, the things that you see, the things that you, that you witness, you can't be inside of a culture and be naive and think that you don't get shaped by it. Now, in this scenario, generations of God's people just spent every second of their lives in a culture that taught them foreigners or strangers would be treated with suspicion and fear. They learned this through first-hand experience as the foreigners. Experiences that they went through for generations. It was born into this spent all their life inside of it, and then died. And right before they would die, they would look at the next generation coming up who would experience all the exact same thing. And this goes on for 400 years. Experiencing this for generations without doubt would have had a deep shaping effect on their hearts. Certain things like treating the foreigner or the stranger with fear and suspicion would have started to feel like truth. It just makes sense. It's the normal rhythm of life. That's just the way things work. That's how we treat them. So what ends up happening here when, law, when God gives this law after they leave Egypt and before they go into the promised land, it functions to deconstruct the formation that happened in the years of oppression and reconstruct their hearts for formation that aligns with his heart, with his will, with his way. Something is being broken down and then being built back up. Basically, he says, that was wrong, and it formed you in an unhealthy way. Here is what's right. The reason I bring this up, I want to draw attention to one of those laws. If you could put the slide up, it's in Leviticus 19, 33 to 34. He says, do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites, 
love them as you love yourselves. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. God was telling them, don't let the wrong that happened to you shape you and cause you to treat others the way that you have been treated. He was telling them, don't let fear become the voice of wisdom and the voice of discernment. Instead, follow me, follow my spirit, and I will leave you, lead you into all righteousness. I will let you know when your, your spotty senses are going off and it's really me. So in the meanwhile, I want you to hold a space of welcome in your heart for the stranger. All throughout the Old Testament, the Lord gives these laws about showing hospitality or welcome to the stranger. It's always riddled all the way through. Not just a suggestion like, hey, that'll be nice to do, but it was a law I'm commanding you to do it with tangible examples to apply it to. And when you look at it in all those examples, like show love this way, show love that way. It was all examples of inclusion. It was all examples of consideration and making space. Basically, yo, if you're having a party over here and a stranger's with you, invite them. Are you doing this thing over here that celebrates me, that loves me and the strangers around? Invite them. Make space for them. Be intentional. And it's, it's all the way throughout the Old, Old Testament. See, for the people of God, hospitality is a command. He causes people to be a welcoming people. Now, we're super familiar with the call of hospitality. I'm not saying a new word. I mean, if you've been to church any time, most churches like ours have a hospitality ministry, a hospitality team. But I want to get to the heart of welcome, the heart of welcome for God's people. See, God isn't just saying, oh, be nice to those people over there because it's a nice thing to do just for the sake of niceness. That's not what's happening. Oh, would that be nice? Show them some love. Be nice. No, no, no. There's something deeper, something more intrinsic that's happening here with this posture of welcome. So he keeps dropping these seeds of hospitality from the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament. So by the time we get to the New Testament, God's words commanding welcome to the stranger has been read and taught for centuries. Lived is a different story, but read and taught for centuries. Then we get to the first book of the New Testament in Matthew. We get to Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. You could read it or go there if you want or go there later on. But in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, Jesus is here. He started his earthly ministry. He's building up his disciples and, and, and he's drawing people to him. And Jesus is sitting with a bunch of people and he's, he's teaching. And he describes this image, this imagery. And this imagery, Jesus is a king. And he's sitting on his throne with all the nations gathered in front of him. And he's doing something very intentional. He's separating the sheep from the goats. Now, the sheep, they represent his people. The goat, they represent those mixed up with his people who aren't really his peoples. 
So the sheep, to the sheep, he's offering welcome. Come. Come stay with me and my peoples. Come stay at my father's place. He's offering welcome. And he's saying, listen, come on. Space has already been made for you. We already got everything prepared for you. We're expecting you. Come on. And he's offering welcome. But to the goats, he's offering judgment and he's finding them guilty. The sheep and the goats are identified by their behavior. That's what it describes inside the text. It doesn't describe, hey, the sheep look like this and the goats look like that, but it looks like what they were doing or not doing. See, the sheep walked in the spirit of welcome to the stranger. That's what the text says. The sheep walked in the spirit of welcome to the stranger. They valued his word that was written in his ancient text, and they practiced it. So they showed welcome by offering food and drink, by offering clothing and shelter, by caring for the sick and the shedding, even though they might have been a stranger. But the goats rejected the stranger. The welcome of the stranger identified which ones were the sheep. The rejection of the stranger identified which ones were the goats. The thing is, while Jesus is telling them the story about him as a king, judging the nations on their hospitality to the stranger, the stranger in the story also represents him. He's the stranger. He is the king that came all from his kingdom to his people, but all they saw was a stranger. They've been strangers ever since the fall, but he kept offering welcome. And it's consistent command to treat the stranger well. It serves to till the soil of their hearts to eventually receive him as stranger because they won't recognize and receive him as king. So leave space for the stranger. They've gotten so far away from him and become strangers at such a deep level that they wouldn't recognize that he is the Yahweh of Scripture you've been talking about. And if the essence of his words mean anything to them, they will reserve a space for the stranger. He'll get in that way. Reserve a space for the stranger. Though a stranger, his sheep will recognize something about his spirit and they will offer welcome, not even knowing This is all a part of his strategy. I think about Hebrews 13 and 2 when it says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. There's something going on here. Ephesians 2 verses 12 to 19, it gives this good picture of the heart behind welcome. So I want to invite you to stand with me. I want to read Ephesians 2. Verses 12 through 19. Open up your Bible, then I'll put it on the screen. Ephesians 2, verses 12 through 19. If you don't got say it, wait. All right. Ephesians 2, verses 12 through 19. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off has been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So when you are no so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So basically his sheep will offer welcome to him as the stranger only to realize we are the strangers accepting his extension of welcome to us. We are the strangers. The ways of this world is what's familiar to us. That's what we're used to. The ways of the world has been teaching us and forming us since we was in our mother's womb. Through her. The ways of the world is what we open our eyes to. The ways of the world is what we was discipled in while we was looking at our parents and our family members. What we were discipled in when we went to school. What we was discipled in when we turned the television on. The ways of this world is regular to us. It's familiar to us. But the ways of the kingdom is unfamiliar. It's strange. Even if you've been saved for a long time, you are still learning the ways of the Lord, still learning the ways of the kingdom. And the more you grow inside of him, the more you realize you need to learn more of his ways. So not only was Christ a stranger to us, we were strangers to God's covenant. We were strangers to the family of God. We were strangers to his will and his way. We were the outsiders who were far off, but Christ both came near to us and brought us near to him. That's like double welcome. I'm going to come near to you. I'm going to bring you near to me. He tore down all the walls of hostility, and these walls of hostility was barriers to welcome. So he tears them down and he creates a mutually welcoming space strategically in him. A space where oneness can happen. And then it says that he proclaimed the, the gospel of beef, peace, both to the outsider who was far away and to the insider who was near. So, the, so there is welcome to all, given access to the Father to all, where in his spirit, the place of reconciliation through him. He's making space for the other. And that's all of us. He invites us in as his guests and he makes us his friends. He makes us his family through covenant. So all who have accepted the welcome of the stranger has become citizens of the kingdom and are no longer strangers themselves because welcome turns the outsider into an insider. 
This is what God has done with us. We have received divine welcome. We have received divine welcome. This reality of God's hospitality is at the core of who we are as believers. It's at the very core of who we are. So much so that in the early church, they connected hospitality to salvation itself. They, can, they connected the, the spirit of welcome to salvation itself. It was seen as a sign that one had embraced the message in person of Jesus. They must have. That's why you find it all throughout the Gospels. You find it all throughout Luke where it talks about Jesus' earthly mission before his death. You find it all throughout Acts where it talks about Jesus continuing his mission after his death, burial, and resurrection in the Spirit through his saints. It plays a major role in the New Testament. That's why you see things like you see Peter in 1 Peter 4 and 9 saying, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. He's talking to them. This was common. This is how we act with one another. In Romans 15 and 7, Paul says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We welcome others because of the glory of God. Let me make this five points about the essence of welcome and then just get out the way. One, God calls those of us who have experienced divine welcome to offer divine welcome to others. He calls us into this. We offer welcome as an extension of his welcome towards us. We welcome because we have been welcomed. Because we have been welcomed, we welcome. And we take the welcome and the hospitality that's shown to us and we extend it to others because we're not only created inside of his image, but also his likeness, which means we act like him. And knowing that we were far off from God, meaning that we were not like God in thought and deed, the spirit and heart, that the gospel was foreign and strange to us, that we were the outsiders to his covenant and family. This makes us more intentional with the other because we were that person. Remember, you was one strangers. This makes us more intentional to those who are not like us. To those who, who are on the outside, that they're always on the outside. They don't fit in nowhere. It makes us more intentional to the one that seems foreign or strange to what I'm comfortable or used to. The one who is overlooked constantly and positioned far away. See, creating welcome is creating a space for people to come near as opposed to keeping them far off. That's what the gospel is all about. Point number two, when we think about communicating welcome, we have to also think about modes of communication, like verbal and nonverbal. We have verbal communication, like the things we say that express welcome, but we also have nonverbal communication that express welcome. Oftentimes, that nonverbal communication is the loudest. 
I think about Le Leviticus 23 and 22. He, he commands them not to collect all the harvest, but leave some for the poor or the stranger that's around them. Go ahead, collect your harvest, but don't collect all of it. I want you to intentionally leave the outskirts for the one that's on the outskirts. Leave it for them. Let them grab some. See, this communicates welcome to the stranger as a posture. I'm leaving some. You're welcome to get some. We left some out just for you. No words have to be said. Which got me thinking, are we aware of when our nonverbal language is communicating you are not welcome? Our nonverbal language, you are not welcome. I mean, that facial expression that you never seem to realize is on your face, that always stand offers to that particular person, a posture that we might have, like leaving stuff on that seat next to you like a cup or a Bible so people can see the nonverbal communication. You are not welcome to sit here. My friend will show up in 30 minutes and take the seat. Nonverbal communication. I think about the name process that we went through before becoming beloved community. We had other names that we was considering that we was praying through. Um, and, and there was a particular member of our body, I don't see her here this morning, who um who helps organizations in their, their naming process, right? So she she led some of her thoughts to us and they and, and sat with us and we was praying through. And she asked us some weird questions like, who's your audience? Like, okay, um, you're talking to a church. Um, everyone? But there is an intentionality inside of our hearts, though. There is an intentionality. We knew that the Lord was leading us to create a welcoming space for all, with particular eyes on the most vulnerable. So she asked us if we considered how different names or welcoming to some and not welcoming to others. Like how many times someone was looking for a church, they looked at the name like, eh, I don't think that's for me. They haven't visited there. Something about the wording of the name that stood out that made them, uh... We knew we wanted a space where no matter what walk of life you came from, you felt loved, you felt welcomed. That's one thing we know. Where people polarized by culture can sit at the same table together and serve Jesus, and it felt welcoming to do this. And we started to see how some names were that we was considering could communicate that you are not so welcome. So we lingered and we prayed, and then the Lord eventually brought beloved. Because that's what we want everyone to feel, like a loved member of his kingdom, regardless of what walk of life you came from. Point number three, never overlook the missional witness of welcome. A lot of times I think that's massively overlooked. Never overlook the missional witness of welcome. I remember when I first came to the Lord, I, I, it wasn't because I agreed with any particular theological point. That wasn't, that wasn't me. I, I started to go to church as a, 
curious and complicated young adult who was a non-believer with a million theological questions because I was convinced I was going to help the Christians understand where they was wrong at. But I was welcomed in by my community. And what it did is created an atmosphere of welcome where I could sit in the presence of the Lord before even trusting him. And when I finally trusted him, what stood out too much to me more than anything else, it wasn't, yeah, I finally agree with that theological point, or I finally agree with that theological point. I was humbled that a person like me was able to sit in his presence, was welcomed by him. I was like, hold on, you do know me, right? You do know that dirt I did last night, right? But you do know the wickedness inside of my heart, right? But yet you set, you, you welcome me in your presence. You welcome me to do the things that you did, like get baptized. You welcome me to, 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 to follow inside of your footsteps. And I didn't deserve none of that. And, I, and this was before I had a bunch of theological points I, I had beef with. But I was welcomed by the Lord and it overshadowed it all. For whatever I knew was like, it all would get figured out. Another thing is offering true welcome to someone who is not like you. It's a massive witness in polarizing times. You guys have any idea what we're about to go through right now? 2024? Like, people are going to fight tooth and nail to polarize you. Tooth and nail. Where the other will be demonized. You will write a bunch of posts on TikTok, Facebook, and you're going to erase, erase them a bunch of time because you want to make sure it doesn't look like you're supporting the other. But you're just trying to say something. That's how caught in the weeds we're going to get. But imagine if the church was this space and, 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 and the people of God provided this space that flew above all the polarization. Because we know that Jesus already tore down the dividing walls so that welcome can be made possible. Imagine that. Our hospitality is missional. Hospitality has, has implications culturally. As hospitality has implications corporately for the church at large and for this church, how are we welcoming the people that God has placed us in the midst of? Hospitality has implications personally because you got to get this inside of your heart as an individual member of the family. Number four, welcome isn't just about extending hospitality to others as the host, but also receiving hospitality from others as the guest. You know, some of the most impactful stories in the gospel or when Jesus was the guest. He was, he was always going to somebody's houses, getting invited here, getting invited there. And a lot of the stories that are most impactful, he was the guest. See, part of welcome is humility. It's being the guest. It's being received by others. And for some, being the guest is a struggle. 
It messes with their insecurities. It messes with their pride. One thing or another, we wrestle with it. It's not a bit about, about welcome come in, but sometimes you got to be the one going too. And that's all a part of that circle. And that's why a lot of us just turn down invites all the time. People have been trying to hang out with you forever. Just for people inside the room that's judging me right now and stuff. Because something about being in the quest, the, the guest requires dying to self and making space and intentionality. People can do all the work for, of hospitality, but if you, you never come in, if you never come, uh, let me get to number five. Number five, I want to say this. Joyfully welcome the Lord into every area of your life. You can do everything regarding welcoming people and everything else, but you need to welcome the Lord. You need to welcome the Lord. The welcome that people experience from believers actually flows from a heart that deeply welcomes God. Remember the first sign that God was no longer welcome was they concealed and hid themselves from him. My encouragement this morning is welcome the Lord in every area of your life, in every area of your heart. Welcome the Lord in every area. It's, it's about surrender. Not that welcome gives him permission to do whatever he wants in every area of your life. It doesn't. He does whatever he wants. But welcome says, I joyfully want you to do whatever you want in every area of my life. It's about surrender. You can do whatever you want. You're going to do whatever you want. But I want you to do whatever you want. Please. Because I don't know it all. So I'm welcoming you to every area of my life. Because I know you love me. Deeply. And you are perfect. You're not going to stand me in the wrong direction. Let me wrap us up for prayer. Michael, you can come back. As we think about these elements of a welcome, having a posture of welcome to God and to others, I want some of you to just reflect. Was God speaking to you today? How was he speaking to you today? Did God run up against your own fears inside of your own hearts? Did you argue with him a little bit? Did you argue with me a little bit inside of your head, but I couldn't hear you, so I didn't care about it? What was going on? Reflect on how the Lord might be challenging you regarding the true essence of heart of welcome. Now, there may be some of you inside of this room that you come to the house of the Lord but you haven't welcomed the Lord in. You've been there for a minute. You come, you heard, you entertain, you listen, but you haven't actually welcomed him in. You actually haven't surrendered. Probably today, for some reason, 
you feel welcome more than other times. Probably today, you're like, that's me. Probably it was something else and was like, that's me. There are going to be people over here that will pray with you. That will lead you to the Lord. If you're like, yo, he's knocking on the door of my heart, like Revelation says. He is the guest that's knocking on the door. He comes. Or are you going to let him in? Probably there's some doors inside of your heart that you think you keep closed to him. And he's knocking because he wants there to be fellowship there. He doesn't really want a hostile takeover. And it's time for you to say, yes, Lord, I've been playing around with you. I've been playing around with your hospitality towards me, but I haven't welcomed you in. There will be someone here to pray with you this morning. I want to encourage you to do that. We already took communion, and I love that we took communion earlier because none of this is to get him to love you. He loves you. But this flows from that. Because he loves me, I can take the fear off and I can, I can run to him. I can be real with him. I can stop playing games. So again, if that's you, I want to invite you. Here's the welcome. I want to invite you to come up now. Meet someone over there. There will be people there with a prayer with you or probably you just want prayer. Something was pricked inside of your heart. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to do a general prayer. And if anyone you want to come up for further prayer, meet some leaders over here to pray with you and then we'll worship and leave. Father, we thank you for welcoming us and to you, Lord, for being a people who have entrusted you, who've turned our hearts from you, who have become strangers and foreign to your will and your way, that you've invited us in. I pray that you will put a heart of hospitality in us, a heart of welcome in us, that the welcome that you have given to us will be felt by others as welcome to them as well. We ask that you would tear down the, the walls and barriers to welcome in our own hearts. And that you will welcome us into you. In Jesus' name, amen.